start using cutting-edge warp speed 5G technology with your cell phone. Let me tell you about my friends at MobileMobile.io. They have an ultra-fast 4G LTE and 5G network that covers 99% of Americans. So they've got you covered everywhere. Think about it for a moment. You have the opportunity to take a test drive for 10 days with unlimited talk, text, and premium data. What is premium data? Premium data is an allotment of a cellular data that you receive from a higher priority on the network. You won't get throttled like you will with some of those, well, non-brand service providers. To find out more information, all you have to do is go to mobilemobile.io. That's mobilemobile.io to start your 10-day free trial. Welcome to Safety FM, where we talk about safety that's truly inspired by you. Hello, we are recording live from the 13th Annual FTA Drug and Alcohol Program National Conference being held at the Western Fort Lauderdale Beach Resort and, of course, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Hello and welcome to Safety FM. My name is Jay Allen. As we're here at the conference, I'm not sure who exactly we'll run into or who we'll even talk to. We might just go ahead and give you a review of exactly what the different sessions were about, but stay tuned right here on Safety FM and we'll get to it right away. Today they're going to talk about safety sensitive positions related to the Federal Transit Authority and the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration. You will hear a lot about Part 40. You'll hear terms like MRO, which means Medical Review Officer. You'll hear terms like DER, Drug Employer Representative. So keep these things in mind as this presentation goes on. So right now they're about to start a session here. The session that's about to start is called Test Refusal. Now this is actually being presented by Cahill Swift. The gentleman speaking is George Kilpatrick, and he is the managing partner at Cahill Swift. Uh, my name is George Kilpatrick. I'm going to take everyone through DMT test refusals, what they actually mean, what you can do about it, what your responsibilities are, what actions to take, and how uh, we deal with all of it. So we'll start off, why does it matter what a refusal is if something is a refusal? Well, fundamentally, refusal means that an individual, an employee, is refusing to participate in a required uh, safety program component. Okay? When they refuse to test through the actions that I'll cover throughout this, it means they are refusing to participate in a required safety program. Now, as we all know, the regulations require that a refusal be treated the same as a positive. So a refusal must be a positive, must be considered a positive. And this is the important part. This is what I want everyone to remember. The refusal disqualifies a safety-sensitive employee or applicant from performing covered functions until they are deemed eligible per Part 40 by a substance abuse professional, uh, treatment, 
return to duty test, etc. So this is the foundation that we're, we're basing all of this on. So your role, now when I say your, this means both MRO and DER. Are there MROs here? Any MRO? No, okay, well there's one section I get to skip. So your, so well, DER, anyone? Okay, good, the majority. You're the intended audience. Collectors? Other collectors? Good, okay, address that as well. So as a DER, it is your role to determine whether or not a refusal did occur. Now, throughout what I'm going to tell you, you will realize that making that determination will require investigation, judgment, discretion, and some actual, at times, difficult decision making. Not all of these, not all of these are cut and dry. Not all are binary. Some are, but not all are. Is there anyone here who was at this, the same session refusals yesterday? Okay, I hope you wouldn't sit through it twice. <laughs> so these are the important components, and it doesn't matter whether or not you're zero tolerance or you have a second chance. The required components are, first, you determine that a refusal did occur. And if it didn't, hey Tom, I'll give you a mic. Sorry. No. You're sorry. Wait till they hear what I'm going to say. <laughs> so you, you determine that a refusal did occur. You immediately remove the employee from safety sensitive functions and you refer them to the substance abuse professional. Regardless of whether or not you have a second chance, these are the required steps. This is it. This is, this is your obligation in as uh, per your role in this component of the safety program. So let's go through this. So who can determine if a refusal has occurred? Can the MRO determine? Those of you who have this printed out, uh, the answer is already on the next slide, but. Uh, can the MRO determine if a refusal has occurred? Yes. Correct. Can the DER determine if a refusal has occurred? Oh, occurred. The DAPM DER. Also correct. The evaluating physician. This is in the regulations. This is the physician who determines whether or not someone had a, in fact, shy bladder for medical purposes or could not produce a breath alcohol specimen for physiological reasons. Also correct. Can a supervisor who is transporting someone to the scene or notifying someone that they have to go for a test, can they determine that a refusal has occurred? No, they cannot. They can advise the DER of what has taken place, but they can't state with finality that a refusal has occurred. They cannot deem someone to have refused, oops, a, uh, <laughs> that a refusal has occurred. A collector, this one's controversial, no. Collector cannot determine that a refusal has occurred. How about a third party administrator? No. Also no. Right. 
So only the top three, MRO, DER, and the evaluating physician. Why can't the collector determine, determine that? They're there with the donor, right? The donor is doing things that the, uh, the interacting with, with the collector, uh, and there are steps that if they don't do it, the, the collector is the only other person there. Why, but why can't they determine that it's a refusal? Because the DER has final say. The collector should certainly advise the DER as, as to what has happened. Right? They provide an, an account, a written account of what happened. Well, the, your donor was in there, the, your employee was in there. When I asked them to wash their hands, they gave me the finger, they walked off, <laughs> test had started, or they came out with a, with a cup was empty, and I told them you have up to three hours and 40 ounces of fluid, and they left, right? That is a test refusal, but the collector only conveys that to you as the DER. You as a DER say, all right, I probably would call that a test refusal. What does the DER do before they call it a test refusal with that account, generally speaking? Talk to the employee. What happened? I was actually going to ask about the evaluating position. Can you explain how um, they determine it's a refusal in MRO? I've only heard half of what you said. Um, how is the evaluating position determining a refusal and not the MRO? Can you explain that? Sure. The, if the MRO uh, approves of an evaluating physician, they will take the evaluating physician's review of the donor who couldn't produce a specimen, breath or urine, and the MRO almost rubber stamps what they, what they say. If the MRO says, okay, you're going to evaluate this person, you're, you're all just fine. I've heard of you, you're a licensed physician, you're not the guy's uncle, you have no relation to this person. No, this is true. You have no relation to this donor, uh, then, then yes, uh, send, me, send me your evaluation. And the, and the evaluating physician would say, I've met with this person, I see no reason why they could not, they have no medical physiological limitation to producing that would prohibit them from producing the specimen. Then the MRO would basically just say, okay, that's, that's what it's Okay. So, yes, of course. You had no under TPA, but um, can a TPA, in the case of an owner-operator under FMCSA, deem an owner-operator to have refused um, testing? For owner-operator mm -hmm. under FMCSA? Yes. Well, it's an FTA conference. So. <laughs> <laughs> in general, though, um, they, a TPA can in that situation. So there, there is an extenuating circumstance in another mode. Yes. According to 382, and, and because that is, a, that is a structure unique to motor carrier, uh, potentially aviation and maritime as well, but it's, it, it's a different structure where the TPA does become a de facto, sort of a pseudo-DER. Pseudo, yes, that's correct. All right, so I'm gonna focus on the MRO, but mostly the DER in the presentation here. Now, if you wanna talk about, if you wanna read more about um, who can determine these refusals and the citations behind it, 
You can look up FTA drug and alcohol regulation updates. It's issue 55 from August 2014. And you can read a nice article about it, uh, I think written by John Spellman. So, refusals determined by the DER. You must make the final decision as to whether or not a refusal has occurred. So you make the final decision. What do you use to make that final decision? An account from the employee, an account from someone, the other person who was involved, the collector, or the monitor, or the, uh, sorry, the observer, <coughs> doing the direct observe, or the collection site staff, or the supervisor. Right? Lots of whoever else was involved. But, uh, Rebecca very correctly, very correctly said, you have to get the account from the employee as well. Now, you will see very often, a lot of what I'm gonna describe will, will come down to he said, she said, or she said, he said, whatever. The DER has the final say in this. Now, you don't have to make a decision that everyone agrees with necessarily, but the DER does have final say. Does that give them a disproportionate amount of leverage? Yes, it does. But not all the th situations we're going to talk about are cut and dry. Any question up front? Mm -hmm. We had yes, a, a kind of a weird situation. I worked for Connecticut DOT. We had a relatively new employee be brought for the test, and things just went wrong from the beginning. He forgot his ID. What the supervisor let him go back to the truck to get his ID, which is not doesn't fly with us. But anyways, then came back. Um, as he was filling out his paperwork, he told the lady at the front that he had to go to the bathroom. She said, don't go. He went anyways. Supervisor was off doing something else. And then, um, so as we got the facts later on, you know, throughout the day, um, it just, everything was wrong. And um, so I think that it should have been a refusal. I don't think that's what the final determination was, but it seemed like it should have been a refusal to test. Is there a, like a time frame that the DER has to make this determination? Well, I'll, I'll say this. So it sounds like there was sort of a comedy of errors. Um, but the DER evaluated the situation, looked over the facts, and I just, geez. Has it been spinning around? Yes. No one told me. I might have given away the punchline, so eight anecdotes. Alright, um, here's the tough part. Someone looked it over, they looked over the case, they looked over the statements, figured out what went on, talked to the supervisor, talked to the collection site, talked to the employee, the applicant, was it an applicant at that point? An employee. And they made a decision that it was not a refusal, but there was a refusal. They ultimately decided it was not a refusal. It was not a refusal. They, they have, that is the power vested in the DER. Now you might not agree with that, and if you describe it to me fully in detail and I read everything, I might not agree, but I'm not the DER. The reason the DER decided that was because we didn't have, it took so long to get all the facts. Sure. So probably maybe eight to 10 hours before we, all these details came over. You think eight to 10 hours is a long time to get the facts? <laughs> <laughs> that, that is light speed <laughs> for many of these investigations. Okay. Well, if he would have given this, let's say that. Hold on a second, let me get you a microphone. Uh, <laughs> okay. Where are you? Right here. There. Okay. Am I on? You're on. 
even though we gave the specimen and she said, or the collector said, don't do it. And he was then asked to give a specimen, and he did, and the specimen was negative. That's, that wouldn't constitute refusal. So many times uh, the, they go in for the breath test first, and they're supposed to do the breath test first. And he said, no, no, I gotta go, I gotta go. And they said, no, we're doing the breath test first, and he still goes. That's not a refusal if he then gives a specimen afterwards, correct? Mm. It's, it, it, that's still up to the DER. So if you say proceed immediately to the collection site, right. it's 12 o'clock, you are 10 minutes away, I'm giving you 15 minutes to get there so you can get to the car and walk through the parking lot, things like that, and the person gets there at two and says, but I gave a specimen. No, no, I think what they're saying is she went, he went to, had to go back to his car to get his ID. No, no, I, I understand, yeah. but, but what I'm saying is, even though a specimen was ultimately given, right. if, the, if the person didn't cooperate with the testing process, didn't proceed immediately, then you can still Correct. call it a refusal, even though Correct. a specimen was provided. Correct. He might have made up a, a plan to have his friend meet him in the restaurant. There was even more. Okay. Say it, it oh. The first one. No more details. Because <laughs> <laughs> now I'm an accessory after the fact. <laughs> and I'm in Boston, so I can. I was just down in East Hartford giving the training. Quick. Yes. Cancellation. Would that be a cancellation like uh, if they actually did uh, the test but it wasn't enough? Um, would that be a cancellation for the chain of custody and then retest and then they can refuse? Yeah, they, I mean, they can cancel the test. I mean, they're good at, they, like I said, the most obvious example is the one I, I just gave. You tell someone to get do a test at this time, the collection site doesn't know that they're supposed to be there at this time, and the person drives around for a couple hours, now shows up and gives a test, gives a specimen. They didn't proceed immediately to the test. The DER can cancel the test and they can still call it a refusal, even though the specimen was given. Chain of custody. Would I have two chain of custody? One cancellation? Cancel it out? <coughs> well, no, because there, there wouldn't be a second chain of custody because you did one test. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's talk about drug test refusals. This is in 49 CFR, part 40, subpart I. Now, what I did was I went through each one of the refusals, I looked back at all our case history from audits and trainings and inspections and all of our technical assistance over the last, I didn't go back 20 years, but probably 10 years. And I looked at, at the refusals and I, and I tried to determine how involved it was for the DER to, de to make the determination of a refusal. Now, I, I wish I could do a live voting where everyone could text in where they think it is. So what I did is at the bottom of each screen here, we have easier and more involved, all right? And the little file, the checklist piece of paper is put somewhere along this, <coughs> this continuum. So you might disagree slightly, say so it should probably be hinged over, but I focus grouped maybe 20 people uh, who are experts in this, so that, I'm, I'm not just pulling it out of thin air, or pulling it out of anywhere else. So the refusals in Part 40, they cover the collection process, okay? Some refusals require more, a lot more effort. The verification to come up with the statements and 
and corroboration are necessarily more involved. Because remember, you don't just say, oh, he refused test, boom, he's fired. You have to look into it because you're going to, if, if you determine that they ref, a test was refused, you're saying it is positive and this person faces the consequences of the DOT positive. So you want to be relatively certain, correct, that this is a refusal. So, the more people who are uh, involved with the process, the more difficult it can be to verify or to gather enough information to the point where you are comfortable calling it a refusal or not a refusal. Now, a lot of the situations we're going to describe, and I hope people here have some of these, maybe, to, to share, are sort of messy situations where it's not clear-cut, because that's the whole that's why we have trainings, right? Because uh, there's a lot of gray area, and where judgment and discretion and professional experience had to be used to come up with or derive the ultimate decision here. So, I'll start at the first one in subpart I, and this is number one in subpart I. Fail to appear for any test, except the pre-employment test, within a reasonable time as determined by the employer. And that's you, the employer. And when we say fail to appear in a reasonable time, what you don't want is ever a policy or a notification form that says you have one hour to get to the collection site once you're notified, just as a blanket rule. That's no good, because what if they're more than an hour away? If they're an hour and a half away? What if they're 10 minutes from the collection site when you notice them, when you notify them? Fail to appear within a reasonable time, consistent with applicable uh, agency regulations, after being directed to do so by the employee. So, you tell someone they have to proceed immediately to the collection site, and you give them the time by which they must appear, and they do not. That's a refusal. Now, I have this piece of paper way over here to involved, because how many people do you think are involved in you gathering this information? I mean, eight to ten hours in Connecticut, apparently. It's pretty good. But a lot of times this will take several days. It could take days. All right, so how many people would be involved in this? Well, the person notifying them that they have to go for a test, right? The, the clarification that they were told where to go for the test and the address, what time they had to appear there, Right, their travel limitation time, that you have to verify that that was communicated to them. All right, so already this is kind of complicated. You said 12.30? No, no, I, I, I said 12.45. No, no, you said 12.30. No, he told me 12.45. So a notification form is now becoming obvious that it, that might be handy, right? A little piece of paper that says you have to go to this address by this time. Sign here, here it is. Here's your test authorization. That might that might uh, assist you in making this decision greatly. Notification form not, not required. Right. Not required by the regs. Question, hang on, get the mic. I got it, Tony, she's all over here, sorry. One of, uh, one of the companies we oversee has their supervisors escort the donor yes. to, to the site. Common. What if? The, the supervisor isn't well aware of the process and they lollygag and it's no fault of the donor. The DER has the discretion to now pull the supervisor aside 
I'd say, listen, I'm not going to call this a, a, I'm not going to call this a refusal because you're telling me you suggested you stop for coffee. You, you, told, you know, they're saying, I hear about this a lot, he's escorting the, the employee, he says, oh, you're going to have to pee? And the guy's like, oh yeah, I just went. All right, we'll stop for some coffee and maybe a bite or something like that. And i got to fuel the truck while we're going anyway. So is that, I mean, you would, you would be a pretty cold-hearted jerk to, uh, to tell the employee they did not proceed immediately. They were not driving. The supervisor was the one who suggested this. It's the supervisor who should say, no, we're not stopping for coffee, we're going directly. So the DER would have discretion to call not, to say that was not a refusal. All right? So, and again, that's why I say this is involved. So now you need to verify what they were told when, were they told to proceed immediately? Who told them, the supervisor? Did they transport them or did the person drive themselves? Well, I drove myself, but there was traffic. Okay, where was the traffic? Where uh, the drawbridge was up? We don't have a drawbridge in the county. What are you talking about? <laughs> um, you know, all this stuff, I was stuck behind the train. I hear, we hear this all the time. Uh, I was stuck at the railroad crossing, waiting for the train to go by. Uh, there were no trains today uh, during the time that I told you to proceed. So what are you talking about? Uh, there's a lot more that needs to go into this because there are so many steps throughout the notification process from them being notified, so many details of confirmation from them being notified to them appearing, all right, that it, it will be involved. You're going to have to interview and ask for the accounts of multiple people. That's why I put that at more involved. All right, number two, fail to remain at the testing site until the testing process is complete. I put this one about in the middle. I say I. When I say I, I mean I, that was the average of about what everyone said. We so put that one in the middle. So how do you determine if someone failed to stay at the testing site? There are really only two accounts, right? There's the employee and whoever at the testing site said the person left. Maybe if there's a supervisor involved, you can ask them. Sometimes there may be video. Yeah. So this one doesn't involve a whole lot of information, but there's still some that you have to verify. I mean, the big one is, fail to remain at the testing site. There's a difference between the guy left and never came back, or ran out to his truck and came back. That one might be tough. Well, did you tell them not to go out to his truck? No, there's a sign that says it here, just somewhere, if you leave the premises. I don't think that's, technically, I guess it's a refusal. But I don't think that's good enough. A collection site needs to say, if you're in the shy bladder period, uh, you need to stay, you cannot leave. But what if the person has signed in and said, oh, you know what, first of all, you know, or they get the, they sign in and they say, boy, this, the temperature in this uh, collection site feels like the, uh, the Weston in Fort Lauderdale, so I'm gonna go out and get my jacket from the truck, or go out and get my, um, uh, phone charger or something like that, and he signed in, hasn't even gone, been called back for the test, goes out and the truck comes right back. If the collection site says, well, they left the facility, that's a refusal. I don't know, maybe there's a bit to consider there as the DER. So I put that one in the middle. How about this one? Fail to provide a urine specimen for any drug test required by this part. Now I have this one as, one of the most difficult. And it's because, look at the language of this. 
failed to provide a urine specimen for any drug test required by this part or DOT agency regulations. Uh, and, and, and there's the exemption for pre-employment testing, which we'll go into. This one is very generalized, and it's very, I don't say ambiguous, but it, it can encompass a whole lot of actions, right? This is saying that they just failed to provide a specimen. So now we're talking maybe there was a medical evaluation, maybe there were, there were other things involved in this. There's a lot potentially involved in this that you're going to have to chase down. A lot of accounts of what happened that you're going to have to uh, transcribe. In the case of a direct, this is number four, and I'm going in order of the regulations. In the case of a directly observed or monitored collection in a drug test, fail to permit the observation or monitoring of your provision of a specimen. Well, this one, I think, is getting a little easier. Right? I have it down here in the green. This just means the person didn't let the observer observe them. Right? So who needs to be involved in that account? The donor and the observer. That's a so it's the two things for you to write down. What one person said and what one person did. And now people always ask me, well, isn't this he said, he said? Isn't this she said, she said? Because what if the observer says, I asked, I gave them the instructions to do a directly observed test. He said he didn't want to do it and it was too invasive and it interfered with his constitutional uh, rights and he wasn't going to do it. And then the donor says, no, I was perfectly willing to do it. I don't know why he stopped the test. I don't know what that guy was talking about. I was ready to go. And I was following instructions. Well, who do you believe? Right? I would say tend towards the observer. Right? What's, it, what's the upside for the observer making up this story? Basically zero. Do you think the observer wants to be in there? <laughs> Checking things out, like they got they got other stuff to do that day. That was not on their their to do list. All right, but what's the upside for uh, the donor? They get to keep their job. Like the, the the asymmetry of of the upside is is on all on the uh, all on the donor. So I would probably tend to um, put credence in in the account of the observer or the collector. And, and people can say, well, doesn't that open, open the donor up for, uh, open the situation up for potential abuse? Well, it could. Yes, if a, if a collector or an observer had it out or had it in, which they do it. Well, I suppose the donor had it out. Uh, if they were, if they wanted to get the employee, could they? Yes, I suppose they could. You could falsify something, and, and that, but that's the structure we have, right? There is asymmetrical leverage on the half, on the part of the collector, because that's the structure, all right? Now, I've seen it where the employee says the the the, the, the person was really nasty to me, and when they asked me to do this. The, a directly observed test is, is necessarily a very invasive test. It invades that person's privacy. Legally, according to the U.S. Court of Appeals, but it is invasive. I mean, think about what they're, what they're doing. 
if that person said, look, no normally, I understand, I've been through this before, but the way that guy was doing it, I felt absolutely awful, and, and, and this is it, I, I was, I'm shaken by the whole thing. You as the DER, and I say this because I've heard this, the DER said, well, who is the observer? They said, they went next door to the pawn shop and got this guy, because it was all women in the collection site, so they couldn't have a, a male observer. So they went next door, and there's a pawn shop, and, and they got this guy, like, he had a knife or something on his belt, it's this big guy, and he, and he stood there like this, and the guy said, I, I felt absolutely awful, I was petrified, and the DER said, all right, this is not ideal, but that did not go as it should have gone. And that was, a, the DER didn't like it. The DER said, okay, in this case, they're gonna call it not a refusal. It's a little iffy. I don't like it, but the DER has that discretion because it was a very, very specific case. And the DER found it compelling enough to call it that. Again, I don't like it. DOT wasn't gonna necessarily overturn that determination though. Right? Does this make sense? Does the test get canceled? The, that test was canceled. But because it was a directly observed test, they, they had to retake it. Rebecca? I got you. Wait, why am I talking to two mics? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I, don't know. Um, I was just thinking that the problem is there was precedent set with, you know, then the, that employee tells somebody else. Of course, of course. And it does establish a precedent, and it does open the door for now everyone to say, well, I don't feel safe. Right? Mm -hmm. But this case was compelling enough that the DER did that. Like, like I said, if these are all clean and easy, I wouldn't have to exactly. give, a, give a training. And you are, I, I don't like the Pandora's box being open like that, or a can of worms, or whichever one. Pandora's can of worms? <laughs> okay, how oh, failed to provide sufficient amount of urine when directed it has been determined through required medical evaluation that there is no adequate medical explanation for the failure. So this means that someone did not produce enough specimen, the MRO talked to them and said, well, this is gonna be a refusal, and, uh, or they, sorry, the DER said this is gonna be a refusal, and they said, well, I, I, have to, I had a problem, I had a shy, uh, stage fright, I need to go see a urologist and I need to do something, I need to show you that I was unable to do this. So this means there's a lot of documentation here, and some of them are medical records and everything, right? So the MRO has to approve of the evaluating uh, physician in this case. The evaluating physician has to make it, have to do an examination, make a determination, communicate that to the MRO. There are a lot of steps in this. And here's the problem with this one. And this is, this is what uh, most people don't appreciate. How easy is it for you to get an appointment with an evaluating physician at a moment's notice? Nearly impossible. Like I said, my, my kid, a, a few, a month ago, two months ago, horrendous ear, ear infection, and his eardrum's about to burst. So I'm calling the doctors that, well, I'd like to bring him in. Said, oh, the next thing we have is like three weeks from now. And, you know, I said, uh, sorry, son, three weeks. No, he's, he's you know, in, in tears, he can't sleep, he's, and he's like, pushing his head into his pillow, like, we need something then. And this was, I thought, you know, emergent. Uh, so now try and, get, try and get an appointment with a specialist at a moment's notice. And good luck if you live in Boston where I do. We have a question. Three of the greatest hospitals in the world that can't even see a kid with hearing, yeah. 
Um, I'm just wondering, is there, um, is there second guessing of a DER's decision to deem someone a refusal or not a refusal um, in an audit? And would, there, would that be an audit finding if the um, auditors felt that the <coughs> DER did not, either the documentation wasn't there or didn't agree with their Excellent decision? Excellent question, yes. So if, if there was an audit, and again, like I said, I don't like people to operate their systems uh, as in, what if I'm audited? Uh, you want them to operate your drug and alcohol program to be a good drug and alcohol program. Um, what, what an auditor would like to see means that you have a healthy program, and which would mean we would want to see deliberation, consideration. Someone took and made effort to take in all the facts surrounding the situation and then make an informed and sensible decision. If we don't necessarily agree with it or say, ah, you kind of played fast and loose with that, it probably would not be a finding. If, it sh if you showed that you made a specific deliberation and consideration of everything and you looked at the facts, maybe you called the Volpe Center, maybe you called someone who, you know, an audit team member who you knew or something like that, and you made it, and then you made a decision, if it was, that is a lot different than someone saying, all right, you know what? You and I go to church together. You're probably a good person, not a refusal, right? Those are two way, way different ways to reach the same decision, right? Shooting from the hip or carefully considering everything. So what I'm describing here now in an official FTA training is that you carefully consider everything. So if you do that, you'll be hopefully doing what you're instructed to do at an official training. Does that make sense? But I, I do want people just to, and documentation is a, is a large part of that. I called up the collector, they said this. I called the employee, they said this. I asked them to explain, they said this. That's all very, very important. All right, fail or decline to take an additional test the employer or collector has directed you to take. All right, if you have to take a second test and you don't do it, that's, it's not binary, but there's not a lot of investigation. There are not a lot of people involved in phone calls and emails that you have to make to make that determination, I think. The person was told they have to take a second test, they didn't take it. They might have reasons why. Well, I, was, I had to go pick up the kids from soccer, or I did this and that, or uh, I felt lightheaded or something like that. There might be some, a little bit of legwork, but generally we think this would be on the easier side, on the less involved side. Failure to undergo a medical examination or evaluation is directed by the MRO as part of the verification process or is directed by the DER under 40.193D. All right, slightly more involved because it's why couldn't you undergo the medical examination or evaluation? Well, you said you couldn't produce a specimen. Why didn't you do it? Well, like I said, I've been calling every urologist in the Tri-County area and I can't get anyone to, to see me. Okay, well, who have you called? Here's the list. Here's the first available time for this. Here's the first available time for this. If the DER can say, all right, that's fair. That's fair. And you can, you can say, we're gonna, we're gonna hold off on the determination until you see somebody. I have a, how many of them do you think, because most likely what are they gonna say? Oh yeah, I called around, couldn't get anything. Okay, well I need more information than that as the DER before I make my decision. Who did you call? Give me some more information. There's a bit. Well, there's a lot of legwork and paperwork that they're going to have to produce. And they're out. Of, they're out of service until they do produce that. Then. 
correct. Uh, you can remove them from safety sensitive functions. Uh, mm. That's tricky. That can be tricky. It's a bit of discretion on the. I'm, I'm going to. The, the, there's. There's been both ways on that. I, I, I can. I can let you know. I can ask what the updated take on that is. Okay. Um, George, so there's no timeline for this process for pre-employment? If I had it happen where the employee uh, or the, the person we had offered the position, the person we had offered the position to couldn't get to her doctor, it took weeks, it took, she missed the, you know, the date on the letter was, we're hiring you for January 10th, and that went, that passed by, and. It, the whole process took like 40, 50 days. And finally the MRO said, okay, this person's clear, but I'm guessing she has you know, half a kidney left or something. I don't know what, but anyway. So, and, you know, but there's no, I wanted to call it, you know, like 25 days in going, okay, we're done with her. Yeah, right. Yeah, on a pre-employment test especially, um, I mean, at some point the MRO can, I've seen it where the MRO can say, look, it's almost impossible for them to get into to see the urologist at this point. Um, they, they will either not allow it, or uh, she knew where they sent the person back. Another one, I mean, can you, was this a one-time thing? Or they went back and they couldn't do it again? I mean, the MRO has a lot of leeway, has some leeway to cancel the test. But it's, I, again, I think this is the problem in it, is where the regulations just say, okay, we'll now go see a specialist. Get an appointment with a specialist and get evaluated. And I think 40, 50 days, that seems crazy, but it's totally realistic. I think it is. And again, I don't have a good answer for this. Okay. So, number eight in subpart I. Look what this one says. Fail to cooperate with any part of the testing process. E.g., refuse to empty pockets when directed by the collector, behave in a confrontational way that disrupts the collection process, fail to wash hands after being directed to do so by the collector. That's a quote from the regulations. I quoted the entire regs there. So this is a catch-all, right? There are so many steps that are included in this, and I think, look how, look how wide of a net that language provides. Fail to cooperate with any part of the testing process. Any part. There are a lot of steps in, in Part 40 that describe the testing process. When does, it, when does a testing process begin? Uh, not on a pre-employment, leaving that aside, on all of the tests. When does it begin? No, no, uh, so call it a random. Yeah, as soon as they're notified that they have to test, right? So this includes, I mean, just about anything. Right, this, this is the, the widest net that we have. Right, and, and look what it says. Refuse to empty your pockets when directed by the collector. Behave in a confrontational way. You think that one's subjective? Behave in a confrontational way? Empty pockets, okay. Empty your pockets, no. Oh, okay, he didn't empty his pockets. But behave in a confrontational way. That, that is incredibly subjective. Can we agree on that? Yes. 
I've seen collectors who are this tall, and I've seen truckers who come in who are massive. And they would say, I think the guy was being confrontational. I said, I don't know, I saw him, he, he, was, he was just a big guy. Right? I mean, half the college kids think everything's confrontational. <laughs> That's a different conference. Go ahead. I had a situation, I was the collector on this one, and a gentleman was notified to come in. Right? He came into the room where we are doing the collection. He was completing the collection on someone else, just finishing up their paperwork. Mm -hmm. He came in the room and he said to me, I, I want my collection done right now, which for me is always a big red flag that someone has urine that is being heated. Big know? yellow flag, right, yes. Right. So I said, I'm sorry, sir, but you're gonna have to wait a minute. And he took a chair and threw it over my head. And smashed it. That, that's not really confrontational. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb, but it goes without saying. If that happens to you, and, and you are very clearly in jeopardy, which you were, you do not proceed with anything. You notify the DER. I mean, there's no, there was no testing form. The test hadn't even... Was there a testing form? with this, you need to leave immediately in the remarks section on that form. Get it on the form, on a federal form, because you have a lot more leverage in the future. Put it on the form. This guy's violent, threw a chair at me, uh, and then say, see notes, and then write down everything else that happened. Immediately call the DER. The test is done. He, he has refused. Very clearly has refused the test. But you went through it anyway and forced his hand uh, because he had a hot specimen. Or he had a specimen that was in temperature right when he was ready to give it, you and you waited 10 minutes, and then the temperature dropped. No. Right? It's it was under good. temperature, I'm guessing. Yeah. It was under 90 degrees then. Yeah. It would not have been, you know what I mean, if I had proceeded. Yeah. Which you, if you had not proceeded, you would have been well within your rights. Yeah, this was well good. within your rights. Okay. Yeah. That is crazy. Thank you. I mean, you're lucky that's all he threw. 
coming out with a couple. <laughs> no, I'm serious. If someone's going to throw one thing, are you confident that he wouldn't throw the, the specimen? Just, just end the test. Remember, you as a collector, there is a lot more leverage for you to say, this, this was no good. And not like, oh, I just felt kind of weird. That's not enough. Oh, the per and, and what is not acceptable? The person was big and loomed over me. And is, is something like that. Well, uh, uh, an individual can't help how they are. Right? If they're tall, muscular, big, whatever. Um, you know, sleeveless, lots of tattoos, and I was really intimidated. Uh, that's not good enough. And the DER should say that. Well, maybe, maybe you need a new collector. Someone like you, who's not, <laughs> not scared. So the catch-all here is very involved, and I didn't know which I put the forms at either end of this because it, it could go either way. In the case you described, that would probably be down here because that would be easy. You just say that that happened, that's case closed for anybody. But on some of them, there's so many opportunities of things to, especially this uh, behavior in a confrontational way, <clears throat> Right? That, can, that can mean a lot. Or um, it disrupts the collection process, right? Something like that. Fail to cooperate with any part of the testing process. Show me your ID. Here it is. Uh, you need to hold it up. Here it is. You need to hold it up higher. Here it is. Okay, look, you're not cooperating with the testing process. All right? Like, things, people get in. Uh, uh, little spats on these. I don't want to say a pissing match because that's probably. <laughs> they, they get in, you know, someone saying, uh, Oh, I need to see your ID. Take it out of your wallet. I'm not going to take it out of my wallet. Take the ID out of your wallet. It doesn't say in the regulations, which is true. Right. Take it out. I need to see it and we're going to photocopy it and stuff like that. You don't need to do that. I'm, I'm showing it to you. So, okay, you're not cooperating with the testing process. Right? That might be a legitimate thing to say from the collector, but the DER could say, Look, come on. You saw the ID. I think that's good enough. The DER would have say in that, but it's going to take some legwork on your part. Okay, for an observed collection, you failed to follow the observer's instructions to raise your clothing and lower everything else. This is binary, right? Either, I mean, this is getting down towards almost as easy as possible. The observer just says, I told them to do this, or, I, uh, or she says, I told her to do this, and the employee did not. That's sort of easy. And you ask the employee what happened? Yeah, they want me to take my pants down. Well, yes, it's a directly observed collection. That's what, that's what we have to do. All right, not a lot of legwork on this one, necessarily. Possess or wear a prosthetic or other device that can be used to interfere with the collection process. Well, when you're doing the direct observed and someone lowers everything and raises everything else up, and there's the prosthetic device, the thing uh, with tape on the inside of their thigh, or the little hose sticking out with the valve and the heat pack. That's it right there. There's not much more that you need to do. When the person lowered their, uh, raised their clothing, I saw, I saw a device that was clearly there to interfere with the testing process. All right, that's pretty easy. You can almost fit that in the remarks section of the CCF. <laughs> True. So I have this one down as relatively easy. I should have saved uh, the phrase legwork for this one. 
right, admit to the collector or MRO that you adulterated or substituted the specimen. This is as easy as it gets. That's a refusal. Question. The situation that you just went over. Hang on a second. The situation that you just went over, the paperwork. Of course, the collector checks then provided, puts in the remarks, found something that they brought in to the MRO isn't signing off on the chain of custody because it's being made by me. So do I just type up a memo to attach to it? Because I'm not checking canceled. I can't right, sign where it right. says MRO signature. Excellent point. Um, so the MRO has a the MRO has a uh, section on the form where they can write you know, refused, positive, etc. Right? It's in on the bottom of the form. But where is your section if it never gets to the MRO, right? It's not on the form. It's, it's a separate piece of paper for which, I don't know, there's no real template that I know. Maybe there will be by Monday morning. If I'm good. Um, I just wanted to make sure that I No, because you want an account. Yeah, you want an account of it. And it would be an email from the collector. It would be another account from someone else. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, a, a template would be a bad idea because you want a narrative as well. Okay. Now, if, if there's a TPA who sends you a results form, often you communicate to them this is a refused test, right? Because they selected the individual through randomization or whatever, and they're keeping track of these, and you would tell them, no, this test was not completed because the person refused. And then they would send you a confirmation form or a results form, and it would just say refused, right? Mm -hmm. You attach that to whatever other documentation that you generated to back up your, or to de uh, arrive at your decision or you know, derive the what refusal. Yeah, and whatever it is, emails and things like that. Even handwritten, like we're not talking about things ultra, ultra official, notarized and stuff like that. All right. Like I said before, a refusal is possible if the, be, you become eligible to refuse at the moment the employee is notified that they have to go for a test. And so here's the timeline. There's the notification, which means you say to the person, the individual, someone says to them, hopefully, maybe in person or something, you have to proceed to the test. It could be over the phone, over the radio, something like that, that is possible. Not necessarily ideal, but it's possible. Now, proceeding to the collection site. What does this mean? Proceed immediately. It means you stop whatever it is you're doing at that point. You go to the collection site, whether it's off-site or whether it's set up in the uh, enclosure at your facility, and you arrive there and sign in. You verify somehow that you are now there, eligible and ready to be tested. Right? Sign-in sheet is good. Some way to verify that you actually got there, that the employee did their part, they fulfilled their, their portion. Because what if you just look at the time, well I notified you at 12, I'm looking at this custody control form, copy 4, it says 4 o'clock, what were you doing? What do you mean? It took me 15 minutes to get there. I got there then I sat in the waiting room for three and a half hours, which is, which is common. So now the employee is going to get Oh, you didn't proceed immediately to the test. 
Now you need to be able to verify that they did proceed immediately, but they sat there in the waiting room. All right, they have to participate in all aspects of the pre-collection. Pre-collection meaning emptying their pockets, removing outer garments, uh, showing the ID, washing their hands, that sort of thing. And then they need to provide a specimen. So the supervisors, what do they determine? And who are they? Sometimes it's the, it's the person who notifies them that they have to go to the test. Well, they have now started the testing process. Right, the supervisor, or other company official, not necessarily, someone other than the DER. Someone the DER has to ask for an account from. They need to understand what prohibitive behaviors are. Because we were, who, who's asking? Becca, Amy asking about a supervisor not understanding that they need to proceed immediately. They're dilly-dallying, I think was the verb. Yeah, oh no, it was the gal who left. Dilly dally on out. <laughs> so they have to they have to understand what their expectations are very very clearly. A supervisor has to understand very clearly what their expectations are. They need to put someone in the car if they're escorting them, which is not a requirement to escort. Not a federal requirement. It's a good idea, but it's not a requirement. If they're escorting them, they need to understand what their duties are. They need to proceed immediately. If they notify somebody. They have to understand how to do that. Hand them a form. Write the time by which they are expected to arrive. Very clearly. Sign or put their initials on so that it can be traced back to that supervisor. That is very important. You need to know which supervisor sent someone for a test. Because you as a DER might have to track all this down to figure out what went wrong. So you can make an informed decision as to whether or not it was a refusal. All right. The collection site personnel. They can only describe the facts of what happened and circumstances. They can't say this was a DOT refusal. They can say they refused to do this, they refused to do that. Present that to you and you make the final decision as to whether or not it was a refusal. Do not rubber stamp the designation of refusal by a collector because the regulations don't allow for it. The regulations say you make the final decision. Obviously the collector was there, it's a primary source. Definitely, obviously take it into account, ask them for a bit more information and more information from the employee. But the DER makes the final determination. All right, I'm gonna go through these quickly. Real, this is an actual one. The employee entered, the uh, collector wrote this. The employee entered the facility before their appointment, signed in. I called them back to begin the collection. When I told him to empty his pockets, he did, but very slowly. I told him to wash his hands. He said, okay, but really just rinse them, didn't scrub. When I handed him the cup, he went in and took almost all the time I gave him. And they called it a refusal. And, and they said it was a refusal to the DER. No. No. DER, I think, I believe, determined this was not a refusal. All right. Collector's report. The employee questioned every single step of the collection. I told her that I had showed the instructions and what would happen. I had to re-explain every single step as we went through it. By the time I told them to choose a cup, it had already taken 15 minutes. Contacted the DER, told her the employee was being obstructive, and that I was busy and can't take time to go through every little thing over and over and over. <laughs> told the DER that I felt the test would never actually happen. DER needed an account from the, from the donor, right? The employee. Employee said, she handed me the form, said, here are the instructions, so I read them. So, 
rights to do that. Yeah, it's within their rights. Now, the DER said, well, how long had it been? The collector said, it took him like five minutes to read through this thing, and I'm just standing there. I said, well, have you seen the font? It's, that's reasonable. Yeah. All right? And, uh, and I, I think that was unreasonable. How busy the collector is doesn't, should not bear on the rights of the employee, right? For sure. So they t he told the DER the test would act never actually happened. And the, and the employee said, listen, I've, no one's ever showed me the back of the form and told me these things. I was reading through it. I just went through each step. So I don't know what's going on. DER had to make a judgment as to whether or not that was legitimate. It's not cut and dry. They had to make a judgment. Alcohol test refusals, same thing. Fail to appear for any test, relatively involved. Just the same as drugs. <coughs> it's the, the exact same amount of legwork that needs to be done. Fail to remain at the testing site, exact same for drugs. I've seen no difference in the investigatory effort required for alcohol and drugs in each category. Fail to provide an adequate amount of saliva or breath. Again, this is the most difficult one to determine. The, uh, the exact same for drugs. When you fail to provide a uh, drug specimen, urine specimen. Same thing, you go through a medical examination to determine whether or not you could. You've got to meet with a, a specialist to see if you have the, the lung capacity to do this. Very involved and could take days, weeks, if not 40 to 50 days. All right, another collector said, the employee did not sign the consent or the intake forms that we require. We told him that, we could, that he could not be tested for alcohol. If he didn't, it was a refusal. If someone doesn't sign the intake forms at the collection site, what do I mean by intake forms? The clipboard with 800 pages of stuff that you have to fill out? If the person doesn't want to fill that out, is that a DOT refusal? No. Right. Are they refusing to cooperate with a part of the testing process? No, not really. Part 40 doesn't mention any intake forms. That's not part of the testing process. The intake forms are the consent to, I will be tested, my insurance may be notified, I may blah, 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 blah. and it's the clipboard with the, with the pen with the teeth marks all on it that you have to fill out before you go in there, right? That one has nothing to do with the testing process. If someone doesn't want to fill that out and talk about their medical history on this form, well, good for them, I don't want to fill it out either. I'm just there to do an audit, lady. Like, why do I have to fill, fill this out? It's an FDA audit of your collection site. I'm not getting blood drawn. I don't have to list my allergies, right? Neither does your employee. If they don't want to fill out the clipboard that has nothing to do with the forms, it's not a DOT refusal. You can overturn that. Not overturn, you just don't call it a refusal. That one, I say you educate the collection site. You tell the collection site, Look, it's a DOT test, they don't have to do that. All right? Question. So the employer refuses to do this. Fine. The collector tells them, go back to your employer. They leave, they go back to the employer, the DER says, no, that's not a refusal. Does the DER then immediately resend them back? Say it's a random. Do they immediately send them back? That's sort of up to the DER, and it depends on a lot of circumstances. Like I said, it's not a clean situation. They would, if it, well, and a lot of times I've heard the collection site says, no, they, they fill us out, but they don't come here. 
And the DER says, all right, fine, I have to send them somewhere else, new collection site. So I, I, it depends on a lot of the circumstances and the judgment of the DER. I have failed to undergo a medical examination for insufficient breath. That one's sort of easy to determine. These are, all these are identical uh, to, the, to the drug ones, except for this one. Fail to sign step two of the ATF. That's as easy as it gets. Sign here, no. Okay. It's <laughs> a refusal that's listed in the regulations. If they, fail, if they do not want to sign step two, put in the remarks, call the DER, go to lunch, you know, case closed. And alcohol also has the catch-all. There's a catch-all for the alcohol portion as well. Uh, and this is in subpart N. All right, how about this one? On the way to the collection site, the employee told me he was going to probably test positive. I said, for drugs, and he said, yes. What do you do with that? You have a supervisor of the DER taking the employee. <laughs> keep, keep the thing going. And the worst part is when they say that, and then the test comes back negative, like, oh, it's negative? <laughs> I was joking earlier. <laughs> now, you can't joke about adulterating it. If you admit that you've adulterated the specimen, they don't have to send it in. Here's the thing, you don't even have to have adulterated it. Now you're at the airport joking about a bomb, right? Did you pack this yourself? Oh yeah, I packed these bombs myself, TSA. Well, it's a stupid joke, and now you're on the no-fly list. The same thing can happen for, for this. You're at the collection site, you say, oh yeah, I adulterated it, I poured that bleach in there. Well, even if they hadn't, that's now a refusal. Are they watching a video? It's a lame dance party. So I put in who can talk to everybody to, to come up with the account of what actually happened. Ultimately, it's a DAPM. Ultimately, is that. How about this one? When I took the employee aside and notified them of their requirement for random testing, she said she has to pick up her kids at 6 p.m. and can't do the test. This was 4.50 p.m. Just notify you ahead of time if any daycare issues. Yeah. It has to be a notification ahead of time. This one is really tricky. And this is where I get a bit sympathetic and I allow a little, a little bit, I don't want anyone quoting me on this one. But if someone's in a, something happens and someone, someone's at a collection site, because here's the thing, if you notify someone and they go to the collection site uh, and they take the test and they're in, whatever, and they say, now I'm late for something, that's one thing. If you notify someone at noon, they, they're expecting to get off work at four. They get to the collection site and they wait for three hours at the collection site before they even get in. Now the DER has, that employee has a case, and I think the DER should have some sympathy to that case. Does that make sense? No one expected them to even be three hours before you got in there. Like now we're talking about like the rest of their life is disrupted for this. The DER should exercise some judgment there. You have a question? Did I answer your question? No. All right. Test refusals. Yeah. On that last one, it's 4.50. If they're at the collection site, should we say, hey, do your best? If they're there, yes. They have to they, they have to go through it, yes. I'm not saying, because again, the precedent, you don't want to open up this can of worms. If they're there, they have to go through it. And if you want to be do someone a solid, they say, well, I have to pick up so-and-so, I gotta be. Um, I've seen it where the supervisor 
literally escorts them to pick the person up and brings them back under the supervision of the supervisor. Not ideal at all. Not ideal. But that was a solid, I thought, I, I thought they did them a solid. Again, 100% of the things I'm talking about are not ideal, right? That's why you have the discretion. What I don't want is the, 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 the DER, because I hear this out in the hallway, people come up to me, and they say, oh, you know what, it was the worst circumstance. She had nothing to do, it was all the collection site's fault, or it was all the supervisor's fault. She was, but she, technically she didn't do it, so I had to call it a refusal. Like, that's not what these regulations are here. For those circumstances, you are allowed some discretion. You have, a DER has discretion. It has to be sensible judgment, though. You have to understand what we're, we're trying to do in all this, right? It, should, it probably, it was not her fault, but, you know, technically she didn't proceed immediately, so. Uh, oh, because there's a road fatality, and there's traffic, so she did get there 45 minutes late, just like everyone else did, just like your supervisor who was in the same, you know, who's meeting there. Like, you can't bend on this a little bit. Use your professional judgment. Common sense. Common sense, yeah. All right, uh, if you normally avoid through self-catheterization and decline to do so, that's a refusal. That's pretty easy to determine. Uh, if the employee admits to having adulterated or substituted the specimen, uh, the MRO, if they admit it to the MRO, the MRO says that's a refusal. Again, don't joke around. I mean, the MRO would see a result anyway. But if it's negative, and they said, but I, I adulterated it, swapped it out. It's negative, but it wasn't mine, it's my wife's. The MRO can say, good enough for me, that's a refusal. All right, uh, there are no MROs in here? Okay, I'm gonna skip that then, because these are for the MROs. This is what you need to do. These are your steps as a DER. When there's no confirmed report from the MRO that there's an adulteration or substitution or an admittance of, you perform preliminary review of the statements or documentation. You read through everything that you have. You determine that a refusal has occurred. You remove the employee from safety sensitive functions. Uh, you notify the employee, comes, obviously comes after the removal. Now you gather relevant statements, clarifications, and everything. If the refusal has occurred, Someone says, well, I think this is a refusal. The first thing you do is remove the employee from safety-sensitive functions. If the collector says, the guy threw a chair at me or whatever, you say, okay, the person's removed from safety-sensitive functions. Now you can gather some information and figure out, well, let, let's, let's figure out what actually truly happened here. And you articulate to the employee that they've ref their refusal has occurred, and you refer them to a substance abuse professional. Now, how do you describe with the employee? You describe the circumstances that led to your decision as the DER. You allow for additional facts from the employee during the conversation. But again, the burden of proof is on them. The leverage is with the collector in this case. And explain the consequences per company policy. If anyone sat through Craig's uh, presentation on how to build a policy, this is why he said you have to have your consequences listed out, because you need to point to it. Uh, confusion of DOT versus non-DOT? Well, it was a non-DOT test, but uh, we're going to call it a DOT refusal. That's no good. It has to be a DOT. If you're going to call it a refusal, make sure it's a DOT test. Uh, the intake forms at the collection site, they don't have to do it if they don't want. Uh, unclear account of what actually happened. 
uh, or the well-meaning collectors giving bad instructions. Perfect example. Versus, I don't think I can go. All right, well, I'll tell you what, why don't you come back after lunch? All right, the collector's just trying to help them out. This happens a lot, believe it or not. A very well-meaning collector, they're new, and saying, okay, well, just, okay, go back out to the waiting room. I'm gonna pause this test, let's go out and drink some water, we'll resume it when you can. They don't call it a shy bladder, they just say, they're just trying to help them out. Again, their heart's in the right place, but it's wrong. Or, the MRO or the TPA, whoever's transmitting the letter, doesn't actually write refuse, refusal, or refused on the result. They just say, the person was unable to do this and I couldn't come up with, uh, and couldn't come up with sufficient evidence as to why, end of sentence. They need to say, I have deemed this a refusal. The MRO needs to be very clear that if they are calling it a refusal, they use that actual noun or verb. Okay, what do you do about it? Ask for more information. Get everything in writing. Everything must be in writing. <coughs> Actually quote what people say. Call them up. If they're not giving you an email account fast enough, you can call them up and say, just tell me what he said and what, what the employer, what, the, what you said and what the employee said. And just write it down, transcribe it. Here's the most important part of this entire presentation. You need to take the account of what you have, right? The body of evidence, the emails, what someone said, notification forms, at this time this happened, at this time you never showed up, and you need to be able to match it to a citation from part 40, okay? You need to be able to say, okay, these actions match up with this citation in part 40. And remember, there's a catch-all too, so if you can't get into one. <laughs> but be specific, did not proceed immediately. 40, you know, subpart I, uh, number three, whatever it is. If you can't match it up to an actual citation, it may not have been a DOT refusal. Right? This is very, very important, because now it's not you just saying it. You are not arguing, eh, I think, I think you refused. You're saying, the regulations say you refused. Now I'm required to do this. I'm required to remove you from safe sensitive duties, terminate you or whatever, or send you to the, either way, send you to a substance abuse professional. And remember, it does matter. The refusal means that they are refusing to participate in a required program component. And it is a positive. And it disqualifies them from performing safety-sensitive functions. That's the whole point of this. Preventing someone who has refused to participate in a safety program component from performing safety-sensitive functions. That's, what, that's why we're, we're doing this. Alright, uh, you can look at the drug and alcohol regulatory updates, you can look at our letters of interpretation, you can host a one-day training seminar, so we'll, we'll go over this. That's it, it's lunchtime, I'm two minutes early. Thank you guys. Thank you very much, enjoy the rest of the conference. Please make sure to either go on I am just blown away by all of the information they just provided to us. It's just mesmerizing just hearing all the finite details, some of the examples from the people from the crowd, but I think overall great information if you deal with FTA or FMCSA. Now keep in mind you want to take a look at that part 40 depending on which mode you actually deal with.
I do appreciate you taking to listen today to Safety FM. I know that we did go a little bit longer than normal, but hopefully you enjoyed it and there was a lot of good information there. If you did enjoy the podcast today, please drop us a review at, at your favorite podcatcher. Hit the subscribe button, or you can always come and visit us at either safetyfm.com, on Twitter at safetyfm, or on our Facebook page at safetyfm. Until next time, I've been your safety manager and host, Jay Allen, and be safe. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen. So do you feel like you're missing out on what everyone is starting to do now, that live streaming thing, and you don't know where to start or what to do? I have the resource and the information to provide to you in regards on how you can stream onto 40 social media platforms all at one time. Yes, that's 40, 40 social media platforms all at one time. All you'll need to do is go to safetyfm.com forward slash one. That's safetyfm.com forward slash one. That's O-N-E. So just in case. And you'll be able to start live streaming just like you're hearing people starting to do right now up to 40 social media platforms.